Hello and welcome back to the Tim Wallace podcast. In a previous episode, we touched upon topics such as how he started his successful business, along with how he first fell in love with photography, and how he taught himself Photoshop from scratch. In this part, we will discover the impact his work has had on the industry, along with talking to Tim about how to capture that perfect photo, and we'll also find out a bit more about the man behind the camera and his personal life. But but moving on from that, like you were saying about how, how do you how do you create what you create? There's all sorts of tools that I think people don't realise, even just like like depth of field, using different depths of field, you know, using different lenses, using different viewpoints, composing things in different ways. There's you know, I remember I remember the first shoot I did for Jaguar. Um, it was on the so on the classic side for them, so it was at Browns Lane, and it was doing an E-type, and it was doing all sorts of things for their heritage thing, and it was great. But these cars needed presence; they they really needed presence. So I got really low down, literally like four or five inches from the ground, and they had amazing presence in the curve. If you think of the curve of the front of an E-type as it curves away and everything else, but if you're low down, it really is accentuated and everything. Mm, I'm pretty sure I've seen the shot. I'm pretty sure I know the one you're on about. Yeah, and, and, and that's standing. And that's what I was doing. But the thing is, no one had ever done that for Jaguar before. They'd never done that. And because it was on the heritage side, it didn't fall under the new car stuff. So because it wasn't new car stuff, it didn't fall under Jaguar Land Rover guidelines, of which there are significant guidelines like... You can't shoot under this height. You can't use less than that focal length. So you were free to do whatever you wanted in a way because you couldn't. You didn't have to adhere to the guidelines, the branding guidelines. So I did this second shoot. I remember one of the guys, one of the client from Jaguar, being there, and he came up to me and introduced himself, and he was like, "Oh, you, you're bigger than I thought. Your stuff was like so low down," and he was like laughing and joking. I said, I've "Never, we've never had stuff shot that low down before." Um, but it was great. It worked. So it sort of changed a few things. It's like um, when I started shooting very early on, I didn't, when a car was static, um, someone had always told me that, and I'd looked at advertising and everything and stuff that was out there, and the wheels were always straight. They're always straight. I thought, I don't like that. I really don't like it because it just looks like it's planted. But, yeah, but if, staged. I t- if I turn the wheels in, at the front it looks like it's either just arrived or it's just about to leave i just think it changes the dynamic of it and i did it and the first two clients i did it for they were like oh don't know about this you can't really do that and i'm like but why why can't such a simple tweak as well no no why can't you do that and they're like well we've, we've never done that before but we do like it so we'll run with it and i think i was one of the first people doing what i do to turn the wheels in and that was like 11 years ago. And it's fascinating now if you look at billboards and everything from all over the place and you think those wheels are turned in. I wonder if I <laughs> did that. Do you know what I mean? It's a That's simple, fantastic though. It's, yeah. it's just a simple change. But it, but you, you like a tiny thing, but in the industry it's like, wow, that's a bit dangerous. We've never done that before. But if you go back post 12, 13 years, you'll not find a car advert where the wheels are turned in. That's brilliant. And then when, you, when you're driving home tonight, if you pass a billboard, you have a look. Because you've never noticed it before, probably. I will. And now I'm gonna. my mind is going to become in tune to looking at that now. Know, <laughs> it's going to yeah. be everywhere. Now I'm aware I'm going to be looking at every advert thinking, wow. But that comes back to the fact that you weren't afraid to pioneer different things, which is key to why you are where you are now. You obviously weren't afraid to change it up a little bit and like you say such a simple tweak like moving the wheels it's incredible that that now is the norm and you should you know revolutionize the game i wouldn't say it's the norm and i wouldn't say i've revolutionized it because that would be a little bit too extreme but what i would say is that maybe there was a lot of guys out there who thought that looks better and i was just the one that put it on the table and it got passed, and they were like, great, we can all do it now. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't big myself up too much. I never do that. I always keep my feet firmly on the ground. That's it. Well, you're very modest, and you should be very proud, though, that if you did play even a small part in uh, changing uh, an old mentality, uh, changing what people thought worked, and presenting something else that can work, I think you should be, yeah, t- take a little bit of credit. I think I think it's a good thing if you do that, 
because somebody stood on a stage many years ago and said, this is an Apple phone, and look where we went with that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, crazy, isn't it? I mean, taking over the world, they have. Um, so I guess uh, the next kind of question lends itself into uh, the present day. Is there anything about being a full-time photographer which is challenging? Uh, you've touched upon a couple of challenges so far, but is there one challenge you face, whether it be with corporate partners or... You know, like, like you say, getting onto location and time. What What's the biggest challenge right now for you? Uh, my biggest challenge is always the diary. That's my biggest challenge for me personally. Um, is I've got I've got people coming in requesting quotes. I've got people coming in requesting shoots. I've got clients that I already do stuff for requesting that we move on to do the next stage of something else. And it's dates. It's dates and diary. That is my biggest challenge all the time. When I get to the location or into the studio and I start unpacking the gear then that's the time that I relax because that's the easy bit it's all the bit before that's you know it's like um, what was it I was doing a before I went to the States I did a interview there was a TV crew came over from the States and they're doing a program or a series of programs that are going out on the History Channel I think they go out later this year called The Road to Provenance and it's all about people who love supercars and are obsessed with stuff and everything else and they'd come over to the UK to film me and it had been organised for a few months and everything else um, I didn't have the heart to tell them that three days after they were here I had to leave and go to the States so I probably could have saved them a journey but we'll keep... <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh well <laughs> but but I was doing that interview there's no pressure because the, the guy on before me is Jay Leno so there's Jay Leno and then it goes to me and it's like wow don't mess this up Tim you know yes but, but I was mean, doing Jay, that. Jay knows his stuff <laughs> yeah I was doing that and the, the guy was asking me about what you're doing next and I had a few emails through while we had a break on the interview thing because it was all getting filmed and I'm like, right now, I think I'm in France next week. I'm not sure. It could be Wednesday, Thursday, I'm going to be down in London. I need to check. Once I've finished there, I need to make some calls. And it's literally like that. So dates, it's for me, it's planning and dates. It's all in the planning. I don't walk into anything unless it's well planned. Mm. Um, so my biggest challenge really is is getting people to secure dates, getting studios booked, getting making sure locations are okay. Um if you're on location, some times of the year are worse than others. Best time of year, I think, to shoot is autumn, to be honest with you. Summer, you know, it's amazing. You can get bright blue skies and blazing sunshine and you'll get somewhere. And, and I don't know, a security guard at the facility will go, oh, it's an amazing day for pictures. You, you've landed lucky there and you think, my God, it's the worst thing possible. It's hot. <laughs> it's Do you tough. Know what I mean? Yeah, demanding. At 62% cloud cover, please. That's perfect. You know? <laughs> yeah, get the factor 50 on as well. So, you know, having things like, you know, subscribing to a pretty accurate weather um, uh, services that give you half hour breaks of the weather 14 days in advance that are fairly accurate. They're things that are important to me. But, I mean, today, um, with other people, I think, sometimes, from what I see anyway, um, the only thing I would say is that we, we do have a bit of a culture now uh, regarding equipment, uh, what I call the shiny thing. Yep. Um, and I always warn people a little bit about this. Do not get too obsessed with this. Um, there is a bit of a culture that the equipment will, you know, if you buy X piece of equipment, it will make your work fantastic. And it's never going to do that. Um People say to me like, "Oh, you've got uh, you've got a McLaren, you've, and you're going to shoot it on a Hasselblad. What can possibly go wrong?" Well, many, many, many things can go wrong. And a Hasselblad is extremely high resolution, but if you point it at the wrong thing, and you don't do it well, you're just going to get incredibly high resolution crap, basically. And I pre, know what I'm glad you brought that up because I cannot tell you how many people have asked me about getting to know what kit you use and what camera you're using. And I totally agree with the fact that it is very easy to get blindsided by this a fantastic kit and the very best cameras when really a lot of it comes down to the practice that you've referred to, the consistency, the, the fact is. that you know how to use lighting. It is. I, I, I remember an interview last year and that was a US magazine and they, so they, they 
they interviewed me and they wrote all the copy up and everything usual routine on a magazine interview and then they send you a list of all the images that you've shot that they would like the high res of so they can use them in the magazine and they, they sent one of the images through and uh, I, I rang them up and I said are you sure you want that one and they were like yeah yeah it's a fantastic image you can tell it's been shot in the medium format it's such good quality and the lighting is impeccable and probably guessing you used five or six lights there and I'm like no it's on the iPhone you know wow <laughs> yeah I said, exactly. I can give you it, but it's not fab resolution. And they were like, no, you didn't do that on your iPhone. I went, I did. It's available light. It's on my iPhone. Understanding, well, understand. It's not me being clever. It's just I understand light, you know? And you can sometimes put yourself in a position where you can produce something amazing with very minimal equipment. Yeah, you won't always have your camera on you, will you? I mean, sometimes you've just got to use the device that's closest to you that you have on you when that opportunity presents itself. Yeah, but I do think... Um, it's going to be very controversial now. I like being controversial. Don't you? <laughs> we love being controversial. Is that I don't think ever, and I'm really serious about this. I don't. I don't think ever, in in the history of, you know, humankind, have so many people had access to a camera, pretty mm. much because it's attached to the thing that they speak on or use on yeah. Facebook or whatever. So, so many people have had access to a camera, and yet I don't think in history we've had so few photographers. Because I do think, and I firmly believe in this, and I'm very passionate about this, photography is a craft. It's a craft. 100%. You know? And it's something that's not easy to learn. It's not easy to develop. It can be hard work at times. And to be able to do it well is a skill that takes a lot of work. I think that there's too much emphasis now in equipment where if you buy XYZ camera... You know, you'll be able to do, produce amazing images. And again, I was talking about this again last week in the States. And I made a point to point something out. And then I asked the guys to come back to me after they'd had a break for 20 minutes to get coffee and refreshments. And I asked them to do something. And I said, right, when somebody looks at your picture and it's just a relative or it's, a, or it's somebody that's not a photographer, and you show them one of your pictures and it's a really amazing picture. They will say, to, if they said to you, that's a really good picture, you must have a really good camera. How would you feel? And they'd be like, well, I'd be upset because it's not the camera. It's my skill. I, they, it took me loads of skill and loads of practice to get to produce an image of that quality. And I'm like, granted, OK, I agree. I totally agree. If somebody said to you, it's like going to a restaurant and eating an amazing meal. And going, oh, the fusion of textures and tastes and flavours, it's amazing. And then the head chef comes out and you go, God, that's amazing. You must have a really amazing oven. He'd be upset. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. not down to the camera. And I said, right, but go for your break and you're going to be in an environment full of photographers. And there's lots of display bars with pictures on. And just when you get in your drink, just listen to what people are saying. Because I guarantee this is going to happen. And it did. It absolutely did. But they'd never noticed it before. When two photographers get together and they're looking at someone's image, one of the common things that they say is, what equipment does he use? Is he on, is he on phase one? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I think he uses Canon, doesn't he? Do you think that's a Canon 28? Is that a new 28, seven? <laughs> and it's exactly what they do. And yet if somebody did it to them, they'd be upset. But for some reason, we think there's a connection. There is no connection, you know? I, I saw a Twitter post oh, ages ago and there was a guy that had done a shoot and he'd done this shoot. It's a personal shoot for him, but he'd done it and he'd done it out in the desert and, and everything else. And it looked amazing. It was fantastic. And then the following month, he changed his camera. He'd upgraded it to the latest new shiny thing, right? And he went, I'm going to go back to where I did that other shoot and I'm going to do it again because I need to do it again because there's, there's higher res on this camera. And I was like, why would you do it again? There's nothing wrong with what you did last time. It doesn't make any difference. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And again, stunning advice. There is that attitude. Because if you said, well, unless you shot it on the whatever XYZ, it doesn't really count anymore. Think of all the amazing images that are out there that for the last 40 years. Do we just throw all those away? What, because they weren't <laughs> shot on the latest whatever? It's just a tool. Some tools are sharper than others, but it's just a tool. But you've also got to bear in mind that you don't really want a tool that's too sharp if you're in the early stages. And what I mean by that is 
when I went to Canada, I was 50 last year, and as, for my 50th, we went to Canada and we did a road trip, and we did a road trip all the way across the Rockies in Canada. And I shot the entire journey for me, so I could do a book, the memory of it, and give it to my wife. Yeah, milestone birthday, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and I like shooting for me because it's uncomplicated, there's not loads of lights, there's no client at the end of it, and I can just do whatever I want. Yeah. So I took a Nikon D5 and I took one lens. I took a 35mm. That was it. That's all I took. I shot the whole thing just like that. When I came back, I put some of the pictures online to another great trip and everything else. And Canada's amazing. I absolutely love it. And people were saying, oh, I can't believe you didn't do it on the Hasselblad. And I'm like, why would I do it on the Hasselblad? It's just for me. It's just for a book. They're like, it'd be so much better on the Hasselblad. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be any different. The depth of field might look a bit different on a medium format to a DSLR, but it's fit for purpose. So, yeah, be be careful with that sort of thing. And, you know, if you want a mm, top tip, really, are we in the moment for top tips? Probably not, but I'll say it anyway while it's in my head. If you want to get really good and you want to improve, tape up your back screen. Get your camera and cover up your back screen so you can't look at it. And you will wow. notice two things. You will notice that you spend a huge amount more time looking through the physical viewfinder at what you're actually shooting. And you'll slow down and you'll shoot less, but you'll think more. And that is my top advice, because the next time, next time you're out and you see somebody taking pictures, look at the eye to hand ratio, as I call it. And I'd say the eye to hand ratio is about 20 to 80 percent they will spend 20% of their time with the camera up at their eye and 80% of their time looking at the image on the back screen. And yet looking at the image doesn't really do anything. And just because there's a little flashing white highlight and they're like, oh my God, it's a flashing white, I'm going to have to delete that and do it again. Uh, not really, it's got a 15 stop dynamic range. What are, you, what are you fretting about? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Take more time in what you're shooting because if you spent more time looking through the viewfinder, you wouldn't have a palm tree growing out the top of his head. It's correctly exposed, but it still looks awful. But you haven't noticed it because you're too wired into looking at the histogram or, you know, whether it's overexposed or underexposed by an eighth of a stop. Just tape up your back screen. Absolutely, best thing to do. I made people do it in America. You should have seen them. It was like I told them to throw their first unborn child into a fire pit. They're like, I can't. <laughs> Going do back that. to basics. I abs how can you do that? I can't use my camera if I can't see. How can I do that? What do you think we did when we had film? You know? It's, it's brilliant advice. It's almost rediscovering the actual craft of photography rather than relying on the technology, like you say. I think because the technology nowadays is so good, people tend to neglect the craft side of it and just believe that because they've got, like, say, the best camera, they'll obviously have the best pictures. I don't use my screen. I, I shoot, I, at the moment, I'm probably shooting 80% on the Hasselblad because of the output. I need I need a big output. I shoot Hasselblad because I need that large output. That's it. I need the biggest sensor possible and I need the highest quality of pixels on that sensor. And I for me, Hasselblad has the best glass and that's why I use Hasselblad. That's it. There's nothing else really to it. But when I shoot on Hasselblad, normally I'm tethered. And what people don't realise is that when I'm shooting tethered, I don't see anything on the back screen. It's going into the tether. Mm. And the tether's where the client is behind me. The only thing I'm seeing on the top of it is like the histogram. Yeah. And I know what I'm doing by looking at the histogram and looking at what I'm doing in front of me. It's not some sort of matrix moment, you know, oh, I can see the image, you know. But it's, it's confidence. I don't need the reassurance to go and have a look at it because I can see what's in front of me. But... You know, it's try it. People should try it. It's it's nerve wracking. I grant you, it's nerve wracking. But you will slow down and you will do things a lot better. And you'll almost be freed from technology. You'll be freed from that constant need for free from the matrix. Gratification. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Free from the matrix. Mm. Blue or red pill. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Both. Just take both. <laughs> Sod it. Okay, moving away slightly from uh, what you do in your prof profession. Now, uh, it'd be nice just to get to know you a bit more. The man behind the camera. So do you have any passions away uh, from shooting and the automotive world? Uh, cooking. I like cooking. Cooking. <laughs> nice. I do. Um, yeah. So we've got two boys. Um, Charlie's 10. Ben's 14. Oh, uh, good ages. <laughs> Awkward ages. <laughs> no, no. They're, they're, they're good lads, to be honest with you. Absolutely good lads. 
Um, but my wife, um, she has quite a, a big job, if you could say that, for a blue chip. And she has quite a big commute. So she commutes about an hour to work and about an hour home. So if I'm working from home, um, I'll cook tea. That's it. I'll cook dinner, whatever you want to call it. I'm from Yorkshire, so always cooking tea. <laughs> um, and I, I want everyone to have a good meal because I enjoy food, probably a bit too much. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so I like to cook stuff, whether it's dandan noodles or whether it's something else. I always cook it from scratch, and I just enjoy cooking. It's like get it's getting away from everything. So, um, yeah, I tend to make something new from somewhere in the world at least once a week, um, and the rest of the time we have stuff that is the kids' favourite or my wife's favourite. And so, cooking, baking bread, stuff like that. Uh, do like drinking wine, if I'm honest. Uh, not just chucking it down my throat. I do. I'm quite appreciating it. I'm quite into my wine, so um, me and my wife were a bit foodies, really. So we we'd go to we went to Bruges a couple of years ago to go to a Pacific restaurant um, for a guy who was fairly new, working his way up the ranks. hadn't got a star yet, a Michelin star, but he was definitely heading that way. But within the community of foodies, he was quite well known. So we went to Bruges just to go to the restaurant. We've been to. London, Scotland's a great place if you want to go to good Mexican style restaurants because of where it is, you can get in reasonably quickly. But it's a whole event for us, so I'm the kind of guy to go to a restaurant and I get pretty horrified if I get a £150 bottle of wine and it's not decanted because I decant them at home. It's not me being a snob, it's just that if you decant wine, it does taste completely different. It's just what I enjoy. It's got to breathe a bit, hasn't it? That's uh, it does have to breathe a bit. Wine Um, etiquette. Quite enjoy making cocktails. Uh, that's not something I do very often. Um, my wife bought me a cocktail kit years ago. Got quite into that. That ended badly, mainly for me. Because, uh, yeah, these, it's like, as I would put it, God, that's good gear. Have another one of them. And then yeah. suddenly your legs don't work. So, so suddenly it's a bit stronger than uh, recommended, isn't it? So uh, yeah. what were you doing? Margaritas, anything like that? Oh, specialist. Porn star martinis was a specialist. I had loads of friends coming around going, do us a few porn stars. And you're like, mm, okay. <laughs> and then you'd run out of uh, you'd run out of this and that. I am famous for my porn star martini made in a teapot. I invented there you go. I invented that. And it's a big, we got an exclusive here. <laughs> it's a big thing in Scotland now where we did that. We stayed in Scotland. We had loads of friends around for a party and we, uh, we ended up making pasta star martinis in a teapot which went down well very well if i remember rightly i can't remember much of that night for some reason yeah well who knows why yeah <laughs> you're being resourceful at least yeah um next question is just one that uh, we like to ask people it's a little bit left field a little bit of fun and um, did you have any heroes growing up they can be fictional or a real life personality um if i'm totally honest my father my dad nice uh my dad's always been my hero my dad passed away two weeks before I started my business. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's, it's fine. Um, my dad specifically was my hero. He was a complete gentleman. Everyone got on with him. Um, the day of his funeral in York, because obviously I'm from York, um, I remember we, we allocated for about 200 people to come to the funeral, and we had close to 800 just turn up all from all over the place. He was just a genuinely... He was a gentleman, and I tried to be the same always be honest, truthful, pay it forward. I'm a big believer in karma, doing the right thing, always doing good things for people, even if there's nothing in it for you. Sounds corny, but I absolutely do think it feeds your soul. Yeah. Um, I try and bring up the boys to be exactly the same, our boys. Um, I remember when I left the networks at Virgin, my dad said, oh, are you going to end up moving down to London and then being a contractor on networks then? I was like, no, I'm not living in London, Dad. I said, I'm actually going to start a business as a commercial photographer. And my dad, being a true Yorkshireman and being down-to-earth and honest like me, he just went, it's not really a proper job, Tim, is it? <laughs> and I'm like, it'll be okay. He's like, I don't know, if you say so. But it made me laugh. Um, aside that, I guess my wife. Again, predictable in a way, but I mean it absolutely honestly. Uh, no, but wonderful, yeah, absolutely. My wife has been sort of centre of my world for 26 years and we've overcome so many problems together and uh, she has her job, which, as I say, can be quite stressful. It's quite high up in what she does. And uh, I will help her with that uh, sometimes and I've got stresses in my job and she will help me with this. And, yeah, um, 
I think it's important, really, um, when you start out doing something like what I'm doing um, in the early days, it is really important to have strong people around you. I do believe that everyone has a core of five people. And this might be your wife, your husband, your mum, your dad, your next door neighbour, whatever. It could be your boss at work. But there's usually a core of five people that you spend the most time with on a regular basis every day. These five people, their attitudes um, and everything that, they, that, that, that makes them who they are, that will influence you no matter what you try and do or think. So be very careful about who your core five people are because if there's somebody in there that's very negative and you you just spend a lot of time with them, that will rub off on you. You know, you need a, a strong core around you because there are going to be times when you're literally going to think, I don't know if I can carry on with this and you're going to get demotivated. And that's when your core comes in to pick you up and sort of crack on, really. That's a really nice way to look at it and it's wonderful to hear You've been supporting each other for 26 years. Congratulations on that. That's, uh, you know, that's over half your life. So that's uh, incredible, absolutely incredible. And uh, it sounds like you have a wonderful family and you, well, you must have a wonderful family because of, you know, you've both got big, important jobs. And I imagine that that would put strain on a a family that wasn't uh, supporting each other. So, yeah, fair play to you both. It's a juggling act, but you get through it. Parents, that's what parenting's all about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to be learning about that soon, later this year. So maybe I'll come to you for some parental advice. Uh, Best advice, drink wine. Drink wine. Drink wine. Okay. Put them to bed, drink wine. That's it. It's what (laughs) what we all do. It's not a big secret, really. Okay, I'm going to be starting that then. I'll uh, I'll say I've got advice of someone who's got expertise in this kind of field. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we'll move uh, back to a bit more of uh, industry uh, type questions now. Just wanted to ask those questions and get to know you a bit more. Uh, so you have been recognised with some, you know, prestigious awards: UK Motor Photographer of the Year and Advertising Photographer of the Year, to name but just a few. Uh, but what is the best thing about what you do? What is it that you enjoy the most? Uh, meeting people. If I'm honest, I get to work with some pretty amazing people uh, at all different levels. Um, I also, I mean, the thing is for me that it's like if I step in studio for a big client, I wouldn't make a beeline straight for the client if I've never met them before and, and speak to the marketing director and, and try and bridge a relationship with him straight away and everything like that it's important for me that I know the security guard, that I know the guys that clean the cars, that I know all the other people behind the scenes because they're the people that actually, they're the ones that really matter to me. So I make sure that I know all those guys by their first name. Uh, yeah, well, you mentioned Brian, I think it was earlier. Who yeah, was on the if, you, if you know them by their first name, no matter even if they're the cleaner at the studio, learn their first name, you know? And then the next day when you come in, if you would say hello or morning and you address them by their first name, it's probably the first time that's happened to them, you yeah. know, and it makes a difference to them. And it's just, there's no benefit to it. It's just good. It's a good thing to do. So I enjoy meeting people and listening to people as well. Not just, I think far too many people sometimes can be a bit more transmit than receive. Um, so it's nice to hear um, people. I remember when, when I was in the States last week, I got there on Sunday night but the actual conference that I was talking at for Adobe didn't start until Wednesday. So I was there for a couple of days and it was good because I had, I had stuff to address and I could clear emails and do other stuff. But the, the hotel was virtually deserted. It was like the Maori Celeste. It was bizarre. And I used to go to the diner um, in the hotel on a night and literally the staff were like waiting for me to walk in at six. Um, it was that quiet and I'd eat something and then I'd do a couple of laps of the hotel just to have a walk and and talk to my wife and everything on the phone and there was a guy Miguel and he was uh, one of the guys who was a cleaner at the hotel and he was struggling to pick up some boards and carry them onto an escalator and I just said do you want a hand and he's like what I'm like do you want a hand and he's like uh are you a guest I'm like yeah he went you can't do that I went I can do whatever I like I'm a guest yeah exactly yeah. so I gave him a hand carrying this stuff up and got talking to him and his wife's Maria and they've just had a baby and he's looking tired because they've just had a baby and he's not sleeping 
and it's just nice. And then I used to say hello to him. And I remember when the conference started, he walked past and I was talking to one of the head people from Adobe and I said, oh, hi, hi, Miguel, you all right? You know, how's Maria? Did the baby sleep last night? Probably not. It's going to come. It'll happen. Give it a few months. And the Adobe person was like, do you know him? And I'm like, yeah, he's a cleaner. Oh, and you could see the shocked look on their face. I'm like, but he's a, he's a person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, just making his money and, and uh, fighting for his family. And now he's my friend. So, you know, there you go. Suck it up. That's, that's fantastic. So I love that. there's the meeting people. I enjoy being in impossible situations as well when I'm shooting. Um, I don't enjoy it at the time, but deep down inside I do because I believe that if you work in your comfort zone all the time, you don't really ever learn anything. I want to be in my comfort zone sometimes don't get me wrong i'm not going to lie there's sometimes when i think god let me just do this because i know exactly what i'm doing but there's times when i want to be absolutely outside it it's uncomfortable if it wasn't uncomfortable then it wouldn't be outside um but that's good um i enjoy writing invoices i love doing that i absolutely <laughs> uh i enjoy it even more when they get paid that's great i love that yeah. bit. um and sometimes, if I'm honest, see where we live, we live in a three-story townhouse, so it's quite a big house. And in the middle floor, it's half of the middle floor is basically the office where I'm sat at the moment. So it's quite a nice, massive office, if I'm honest. So I'm very lucky to, that we've that we've done that. Um, and sometimes, if it's quiet, because I when I'm in the office working, I don't have the radio on. As far as I'm concerned, even though I'm at home, I'm at work, so I'm, I'm pretty. I restrict myself quite a lot like that. You've got to be quite determined and you've got to be, you know, you need um, you need to have quite a lot of focus to do that. Um, so sometimes when it's quiet, I'll just look back and I'll sort of sit back in the chair and look out the window and look at what's hanging around the desk and I'll just think, yeah, I made this. There's a sign that's right near my desk that's got the Ambient Life logo on it, which is on the wall, and it's sort of a glass sheet with chrome letters that make up the Ambient Life. And I think, yeah, I made that. I made it happen. Now I think of my dad and laugh when I think about him saying, you know, it's not a proper job, is it? Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it's just good to just sit back and reflect. Not too much, but now and again, just sit back and think, yeah, you're doing okay. You're doing yeah, okay. take stock of the situation and just appreciate the journey you've been on, how it began from humble beginnings and... You know, just take a moment just to, like, say, acknowledge, wow, this is incredible. I'm literally doing what I want to do. I'm my own boss, and I work for some pretty kick-ass brands. Yeah. I mean, in relation to the awards, the only thing I would say about that, which is not really controversial, but awards are great, but I wouldn't take them too seriously. Awards really are only a tool that adds confidence to your clients. So them sort of mid-bracket clients and, and people like that. Well, some of the upper-level blue tips maybe if the award is won for something that's within their brand. But what you're doing really is adding provenance. You're adding confidence and you're adding provenance to who you are. That's what awards are. I mean, that that some people will probably very strongly disagree with what I've just said there, but it's recognition for your work and that's fantastic. Precisely, yeah, recognition from an external source as well. It's recognition, so, but... Trusted. From a business, you see, I think of everything as a business tool. That's the difference. Um, it's probably worth trying to explain that very, very briefly. Mm-hmm. Creative photographers are creatives. Creatives basically are the worst business people you can get because they're emotional. They either one minute love their work or the next minute they hate the same work and then they love it again. We all suffer from OCD because that's a creative strain. Yeah. Um, but they don't make good business people because good business people are all about risk, revenue, cost, you know, you know, and that sort of thing. So in a way, to be good at doing this, you've almost got to be a psychopath. You've got to split yourself between the creative brain and the business brain. The create you might get offered a job somewhere to do something, and it's not going to pay very much, or it's badly organised, and you think. Mm. The creative brain is going. Oh, good! I get I get to shoot this amazing whatever it is. The mm-hmm. businessman is going, no, it's going to cost X amount. It's not going to be worth it. Revenue's not going to be there. Can we benefit from it? Yes, no, whatever. It's it's two different things, really. Um, so the recognition is good, and that's great. The recognition feeds the likes, the, the likes and the hearts and all the bits that, mm-hmm. that plug into the creative brain. But the businessman looks at an award and thinks, is that a marketing opportunity? Yeah. 
Do you see it what I mean? It sounds like you do have to separate yourself from the creative side and the business. It does sound like you need to yeah. so, be business savvy. So for me, winning the, the UK Motor Industry Photographer of the Year, benefit, massive benefit. Mm-hmm. Bit of Aston Martin work wins it. Aston Martin, I was in Germany. The awards night was in a hotel in London. I was in Germany doing a shoot. So Aston Martin sent somebody to the awards to pick up the award for me. So they loved it. Do you know what I mean? Bit, bit of marketing for them. Everyone's happy. I'm busy doing what I'm doing. Mm. I don't have to rent a tux for the night. It's all good. Um, yeah, but, you know, if I won, I don't know, the Moscow whatever landscape awards, would it really be a benefit? Not really. No. So, yeah, it's it, I get it's probably keeping your feet on the ground again, really, to be yeah. honest with you. It's good advice, again, to just... You, you've reaffirmed the point you made earlier that the reason so many of these photography uh, new businesses do go bust is because people aren't considerate, consider, they're not having a consideration for that professional side, the business side, the money side, where you have to pay bills, you have to do your taxes, and you have to go for only jobs that are right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this one might be a controversial question. I'm not sure. I don't want to you know, lose your business from one of your uh, car brands that you do work for, but you've obviously shot a lot of cars and we just want to know do you have a favorite car and if you do have you had the privilege to shoot that that model uh it's a question i get asked a lot obviously <laughs> yeah um i would say lamborghini mura nice if i'm honest lamborghini mura in my opinion is still probably one of the prettiest cars in the world um it was arguably probably the world's first proper supercar um, and still looks stunning today. I just love it. I just love the shape of it, the design of mm-hmm. it. It's simple, it's elegant, uh, it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say a Lamborghini Miura is is by far probably my favourite car. I've never shot one, ah. never had a reason to shoot one. Um, one day I would quite actually like to retire and buy one, um, and I'll make sure that that tries to happen, and I will get it in the lime green because i think that's stunning yes. sounds awful but it's stunning um yeah that's it that's really my favorite car if you're going to get a lamborghini you have to go all out you can't get a boring color i mean the whole point of a lamborghini is it's vibrant it pops <laughs> you, you notice it when it goes past you. yeah but amira is quite a classic car and it, yeah i mean i've driven my fair share of um aventadors and merchalagos and i've even driven a contest once which is proper that is a proper lamborghini you get in that, you start the engine, and it, it just might as well pop a sign up going, wow. I'm going to try and kill you now. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, so, yeah. Well, I did, I actually have done a, a Merchilago on a, a track day. And for me, it was how close the pedals are to each other. I was almost hitting, the, when I was trying to hit the brake, I was still on the throttle at times. It was yeah, so yeah. close, and it's slightly left-sided. So it doesn't feel natural when you go in the I car. I know, I know, yeah. So for me, I was like, "Oh my god!" I'm glad glad I got the instructor with me because I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna hit the throttle when I'm going around a turn <laughs> instead of the brake. So I'll tell you a true story now, very quickly while I remember it. There was um, I'm not going to get into who it was or exactly what it was because I don't want to land myself in trouble. <laughs> but there was a Ferrari, and it was a a Le Mans Ferrari, and it was round about the 1950s, should we say? Um, and I had to shoot it on a location quickly, and I drove it to the other side of this village where I was going to shoot it and it was literally me and a couple of other guys and I said look you get the gear I'll drive this and then meet me the other side halfway through the village for the very reason that you've just said um, I got the throttle stuck down right so the throttle was stuck down and I had a pair of because I'm shooting on location I had a pair of like hiking boots on and it got wedged totally and it's on full down throttle so I went, I went through this village in this like multi-million-pound Ferrari of which there's only one in the world. Classic, yeah. Um, while all these people are stood there with their eggs in baskets, and it's one of them little villages. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, went through it like horrendous screaming look on the. You know when kids open their mouths but they don't scream, <laughs> nothing comes out. Yeah, and you think, wow, out. that's going to be bad when it happens. Through the village to the side and roaring it I must have done about 120 through this village and I was like just trying to hold on and think oh, God, God, bloody get my foot out of this anyway I managed to and I managed to come to a stop on the other side and nobody 
from my crew saw what happened, so I never mentioned it. Um, apart from the fact that I, they, when they came across, one of them did say, you look a bit pale. Are you all right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just a bit hot, you know. But yeah, I remember that. I think, wow. And um, I had £6 million liability insurance then. And the very next thing I did the following week was up it to £12 million. I have £12 million liability now. Just in I should case, can't be euphemised. <laughs> just in case that ever happens again. It doesn't cover me for everything. I've been in a few things that have been over that, but yeah. yeah. Wow. That's a great story. And like I say, having, I, I did it in the safety of a track day, so um, I know exactly that kind of fear. You must have been like, oh God, this isn't going to stop. Yeah, track um, day is one thing. Through a village is something quite different. Yes. I'd tell everything's you going, <laughs> Everything's going past really quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what what can we expect to see from you in the future? Have you got any professional or personal plans that you're even allowed to share with us? And we, we came across some recent praise, I think it was the foreword from Sir Sterling Moss for the work you did uh, with Aston Martin, the portfolio of dreams. I mean, that's pretty special, an absolute legend uh, associated with your name as well now. I like Sterling, he's a great guy, because the thing is, when a lot of people meet Sterling, they're all very sort of, oh, you know, hello, can I have a selfie? Can you sign this? Everything else. Um, and I've met him a couple of times. And I remember the first time I met him, I walked up to him and he had a cup of tea in his hand, but he was busy getting interviewed by somebody else. And I just went over and I said, look, I know who you are. Um, you don't know me, but I'm gagging for a cup of tea. And there's a big kid. Are you going to drink that? Because if you're not, I'll have it. And he was like, you're cheeky. <laughs> um, and I just get on really well with him because the thing is with people like that, if you're down to earth and you're just normal, it's quite mm. refreshing for them. So, um, yeah, so when we did the book, I, we just fired him a, um, a communication, spoke to him and just said, look, do you want to write the foreword for this? Because that would be fab. You know, it'd be nice if you did it, to be honest. And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure, no worries. Um, so, yeah, that was great. Um, stuff happening in the future. I'm in Switzerland next week doing some stuff i'll be there a couple of days uh come back and then literally i've got to head south and i'll be um looking at um a considerable amount of time till the end of the month getting locked away behind closed doors doing the third mclaren brochure which will be the super series uh which hopefully should go really well well it, i'll make sure it does go well yeah two cars like two cars to shoot um, the MSO brochure was a very dark metallic, almost gunmetal grey, which is full of carbon fibre and is very difficult to shoot. You shoot a dark coloured car coming out of the darkness, full of carbon fibre in studio. It's about as tough as it gets. This time, I can't get into what we're shooting, but I can say that one's slightly off-white and one's like a very deep metallic turquoise. So that's like, wow, this is going to be substantially easier this time. Um, so we'll be doing that. So my entire focus will be on that to be honest with you. Uh, and from a personal point of view, um, just basically cooking some good food, drinking some good wine, yeah, and spending some time with my family um, whenever I can. Uh, one of the things that I do through the year, which is probably, it's a pertinent thing to mention, really, when you consider who you guys are, is that I honestly don't believe that people print enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I do every year is I print all the important stuff every year now what i mean by that is the work i do for commercial clients that gets printed anyway that's out there it's printed in brochures and all the rest of it but all through the year i take pictures of every weekend we go away with the kids meals that i've cooked i'll take a picture of it not a food photographer but i'll do a picture of it i'll do funny pictures of my wife and kids when Mm -hmm. we're when we're doing something in the house i'll take pictures of the dog when we go for a walk and he collapses um and all sorts of things like that and at the end of the year i've normally got about six seven hundred images i will then push them into a book quite a large book and i will get that printed as a one-off thing and i will give that to my wife every year as this was our year and i think that's incredibly important because when my father died my father wasn't a photographer but when he died there was a chest of drawers in his bedroom and at the bottom drawer of that was just loads and loads of little envelopes full of end prints and negatives and it was all from sort of family holidays that we'd had some of the stuff i didn't remember some of the stuff i did remember yeah. stuff that survives as well that you can yeah now um there was all sorts of other stuff that 
showed him and my mum before the kids. And there was shots of him in Blackpool attending ballroom dancing uh, competitions with a number on his back. And I'm like, I didn't even know he did this. Do you know what I mean? I had no Mm. idea he did this. Cycling holidays in Germany. I didn't know he did that. I didn't know he'd cycle to Germany, for God's sake. Now, that's all great. But I did think, what if this was propelled 50 years forward and all that was sat in his bedroom was a computer on the side? that yeah. I couldn't get into because of the password or whatever, or an iPhone that I couldn't get into for a password, all that stuff would have been lost. We'd never have it. Do you know what I mean? So I do think, I do honestly think that possibly the generation that we're in now will leave the least amount of photographic reference to what we were all about because it's all in the iCloud on an iPhone behind a password that can't be put in by somebody else. It's on a, a drive in a computer that may well get binned or scrapped or whatever. It's so it's important to print. You know. Yeah. If it's important uh, to you, print it. That's exactly the angle we come at. I mean, we're trying to make it as simple as possible for people to transfer their phone pictures to a print and get it framed and like immortalise exactly. their favourite images. I think for us that's been the crucial focus of just trying to find a way to make it easy for people to get their images and, you know, take the stress out of it. And like you say, people in years to come might not be able to find them kind of that treasure trove of memories that you found in your dad's drawer, that kind of stuff. It's crucial. It is crucial. I mean, I'm not sorry about printing all your commercial work. That's going to be out there anyway, all over the place, hopefully. Mm. But the stuff that matters to you, you know, the family stuff and all the rest of it, then, you know, get it printed because, you know, don't leave it on your iPhone. Those real important memory. I think that's really good good advice as well. And uh, speaking of advice, as we're we're going to wrap this uh, shortly, do you have any advice to aspiring photographers looking to make it as a professional? You've obviously covered one top tip so far, and from talking to you, I can't imagine there are any set rules. You, it sounds like people have to discover their own style and learn their craft and make the mistakes and just get out with the camera a bit more but is there anything else that you would say this is great advice and if i knew that 11 years ago it would have been very handy i think the important things that i would say and i mean this absolutely from my heart is um you've got to believe in yourself and it's an easy thing to say it's a very hard thing to do and there's going to be times when you don't but you've got to try and believe in yourself as much as you possibly can um because if you don't believe in yourself, then others will detect that and they won't believe in you either. So that's a really hard thing to do. It's a very easy thing to say, you know, but you've got to persevere and try with it. You know, it takes quite a lot of dedication and focus and everything to be able to do that. And it's going to take you time. It's almost like you've mm-hmm. got to get into the right mindset to do that. Work hard. OK, it's going to be something that's takes you with time to build. It's going to be something that whether you're building the business or just trying to really get get great at photography or lighting but if you work hard at it you've got much more chance of success people will say to me sometimes oh you're doing this are you doing that or you've got that new client you're so lucky and i think i don't believe in luck i really don't believe in luck Mm. harder you work the luckier you get that's it um when you get knocked down be prepared to get up and move on failure is an essential tool to success Mm -hmm. be yourself don't for, don't copy somebody else. Don't be the next whatever, the next whoever your famous, you know, favourite photographer is. Be yeah. the first version of you, you know. Have a style, have a niche, and become as well known for that as you possibly can, okay? And get your work everywhere. Don't get hung up that someone's used your picture on a blog about whatever it is that you do. Get it out there. Get it everywhere. I have people say to me even now, God, I, I landed at LAX and well, before I got off the, the aeroplane, I was reading a magazine and there was two pictures of yours in there. Then I got off at LAX, I'm going through the tunnel and there's another picture of yours there. It's like you're, you're everywhere. And it's like, I know, it's good, isn't it? It's amazing, I plan it. Yeah. I plan it that way, you know? Um, value what you do and value your time. Don't expect anything of value from cheap people. I, that's a pretty good point it's a hard one to grasp at times but mm-hmm. 
you're not going to get anything of value from cheap people. So value your time and value what you do. If somebody, if a client wants you to do it dead cheap and it's not what you want to do, then it's the wrong client. Find another client. That's it. I mean, one of the things that, it's one of the things that I talk about a lot in the States. There's a media company called Kelby One. I do quite a lot with them. And at, at, at Kelby One, they've got a website and there's, there's guys like me who do video tutorials for people. Mm -hmm. So on there is video tutorials about how to light cars, how to do them outside, how to do them inside, how to shoot detail, how to shoot interiors. There's all sorts of stuff on there. But I did two business classes last year. Each is about two hours long, and they're both on Kelby One. Um, and they have been the most successful classes they've ever had in 25 years for people physically going on to watch them time and time again. So there's a lot of advice in there. It's very difficult to push across years and years and years of business experience in in a sort of 10 minute segment so there's a lot of information in there. yeah i can imagine i can imagine but if your clients are not working for you then you've got to consider that maybe that's the wrong type of client hmm. um the best lens you can use is another question i get asked quite a lot and the answer is simple use your heart the best lens you can use is the heart so shoot from your heart so shoot how it feels to you and and how you think you want to push that across you know stay don't, true to yourself don't just shoot what it looks like shoot what it feels like and if you don't really understand that then think about whatever you're shooting is in front of you the many millions of different ways you can light that to give it the atmosphere the atmosphere is what will get across how it feels you know so shoot what it feels like don't just shoot what it looks like and that's really my best advice, if I'm honest. That's amazing. Honestly, we, we cannot thank you enough for taking the time to speak with us. You've mentioned one of your biggest challenges is diary time. And before we jumped on this uh, podcast today, we were well aware that you were giving us this incredible opportunity to speak with you. And we understand and appreciate you're so very busy. So to get this uh, podcast done with you, was incredible so we just want to put on record how much we really appreciate you taking the time to talk through your business with us the the, the stuff that got you here and yeah it's been absolutely it's been a privilege really good you, you're quite welcome if it helps a couple of people out there then it's worth it isn't it it was an absolute pleasure chatting to tim today a real honor and we can't thank him enough for coming on and speaking to us for close to two hours uh, do make sure you follow him on social media his handle on instagram is timwallace47 and don't forget to visit www.ambientlife.co.uk to find out a little bit more about tim and view some of his amazing work for more information please visit us on www.eframe.co.uk